everyone, welcome to Flywheel Pod, your number one source for everything Frax, DeFi, and everything in between. If you want to know what's going on in the world on chain, you've come to the right place. This is DeFi Dave, here with Capital K. We're here to help you harness the power of the flywheel. Uh, this week, uh, you know, it's been a pretty, uh, pretty action-packed week, and not in the best way possible, um, with all this FTX drama, SBF drama. Um, many people are like, how can we not see this coming? Many people, but Ishan. <laughs> Ishan is but a right. But one. Um, Ishan uh, from Serotonin. He has his own DeFi uh, newsletter. He also works with a bunch of projects. He wrote a thread a month ago, um, uh, basically predicting the downfall of FTX and gave reasons why. And he had things like, you know, volume going down. He had things like, the way they're spending and he had things like look at that balance sheet like so many things were just so spot on um and it was great just like in one thing i love about flywheel pod is when we get the threaders on to talk because they just mm -hmm. like go off and it, their intelligence really shows and ishan was clearly a very you know smart young guy um that's going to do a lot of good in the space so kit what are your initial thoughts here man when you know we were going through his thread like i really appreciate and um really recognize the depth of his thinking when he approached the situation so holistically from like you know executives leaving and thinking about like how vesting schedule works and like walking away from those equity all the way to the other side of like hey the company itself is lacking focus when it's trying to do all these different things so he really went back to first principles and the fundamentals mm -hmm. of what it means to build a business and those were kind of the signs that were flagging for him right like, yo this business has talent leaving. This business is not focused. This business is not making a lot of revenue, but spending like crazy. Like, so like, he really went back to first principles. And I think our, our listeners are really going to enjoy how to think that way and how to approach things from mm -hmm. a first principles perspective. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Like first principles thinker going against the grain. Um, and then, you know, just how he thinks about DeFi and the type of due diligence he does. I think there's a lot uh, people can learn from that when we actually have like a career advice section in the middle yeah. of the podcast it's like <laughs> it, what if you're non-technical like how would you approach working in crypto and how to like build in a bear so like definitely stick around for that um you know you know we should just get right into it um if you're watching this on youtube please like comment subscribe hit that bell button get those notifications don't forget to follow us on twitter at flywheel pod join our telegram group at flywheel pod you can follow me on twitter at defi dave 22 you can follow me at 0x capital underscore K. And let's get the flywheel spinning. Uh, it has been an eventful week, to say the least. Um, I don't think anybody saw this coming, but yet it was inevitable. Very few saw, actually, like, could have predicted this. But one man, one month ago, wrote a thread, literally calling it, like, step by step. I And I was reading the thread, I'm like... I like I was like I figured there's something like weird about FTX, but I didn't think it was like outright outright fraud. But we have uh Ishan. Ishan, uh you work at Serotonin, you have your own DeFi newsletter. Uh, before we get started, like can you give like a little bit of about about yourself. Yeah, yeah. So uh before crypto I was in private equity, uh had my own private equity fund. Um, was really had a really good opportunity, shaved off like a huge part of our portfolio right as COVID started hitting. Uh, that gave me a lot of free time. Uh, with that free time, inevitably, I started to dive into, uh, you know, everything kind of going on in Web3. 
Uh, I didn't really care for most of the stuff going on, but that's when I kind of fell headfirst into like DeFi summer. Um, and, you know, DeFi mm. summer was, was, you know, probably one of the craziest times on the internet where you just close your eyes, pick stuff um, yeah. and, and, and do pretty well. Um, so I, I did pretty well with the personal portfolio. And then I started to think like, how can I really kick this up a notch? How do I start like, you know, really getting into the industry? And if you want to, you really have to work in the industry. Um, so I, I worked at Serotonin um, for, for over a year now. Um, and, um, and, and, and so now I'm like, uh, so I, I'm a DeFi writer. I'm an analyst. Uh, you know, I've worked with a handful of like top 100 DeFi projects. I've worked with, uh, Lido finance. I've, I've worked a little bit with like osmosis Vega. Um, and so doing like a lot of the core writings for a lot of these protocols, helping the way I like to think about it is like, I like to help DeFi tell its story, right? There's a really interesting story and narrative on here about the things that we're building, the things that we're doing. And I want to kind of help tell that story, uh, personally, pre preferably from the project side, I like to work with a lot of projects. Um, and, and help them with a lot of their content and their writing and stuff like that. Yeah, I think that's something that's definitely lacking in DeFi is projects don't know how to tell their story and it's often very confusing or too many like big words or jargon. Um, if there's like something that could use a lot of improvement, it's definitely in the narrative sphere. And so thank you for your service there. I, I know very well how hard it is to like tell narratives about, you know, specifically like really technical projects because it's not easy. Um, but like once you can like put into words it like, I mean, I think that's what Bitcoin does so well. It's like simple and easy to understand. And like the evangelists are all about, hey, let's like, you know, Bitcoin, like hold it, save it, blah, blah, blah. Um, buy 21 coffee. million. 21 million, 21 million. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but like, let's get into it. So like, when did you first like feel like something up was up with SBF and FTX? Have you always felt this way or was it something recently that ticked you off? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I would kind of, you know, very similar to like how I felt about Luna, which is that I couldn't put my finger on it, but I had never personally put any capital in there. Um, I, I mean, like I had a little bit here, there, um, but like even like the, the the original picture in the thread wasn't actually like my FTX account. It was like a joke to like make fun of F, uh, F Sam's like every week he would tweet about, oh, I'm, I'm going to buy a bunch of FTT because the burn is coming, right? Yeah. So like the original picture in the thread was just kind of a joke, like alluding to his like weekly FTT buy and burn, right? Yeah. Um, so like I, I had very little experience with FTT. I never, never really touched FTX much as a platform. So it's the same thing with Luna. It was just like something just doesn't add up here. So I'm personally not going to touch it, but I don't think anyone saw, you know, it was as bad yeah. as it possibly was. Did you think it was as bad as it was? But you like called it like dead on, like spot on. Like, yeah, yeah I'm shorting FT FTT. I think like something shady is going on, blah, blah, blah. Like, like you called it, like you called it to a T and I really commend you for that. Yeah, I, I think like uh, when when I started to get like a really serious thesis going, like like when I was like, OK, something really, really weird is going on here. I need to start digging into this was was probably when the when the executives started leaving. Right. So so like mm. you saw like I, two, two and a half months ago now, you saw Tran, uh, San Trabuco leave. Right. CEO of Alameda. That was already shady. Right. This was like, you know, SPF's like day one. They were like, you know, neck and neck tight. They were running Alameda together. Uh, you know, he had this really cool, interesting background. He was getting pretty famous uh, at the time. He was building his brand really well. And so for him to step down out of Alameda was kind of shady, right? But like given, right? Maybe he's post-economic. Maybe he actually wanted to go right off in his boat. You know, maybe he didn't really know much about what was going on, which is totally not true anymore that we know. Um, but the first one was that. And then the second one that was like, oh, something's definitely going on here, like light bulb, was you saw like not even a month later, Brett Harrison left, uh, CEO mm. of US. Yeah. So you have 
Alameda and CEO of FTX US leave within a one month span. And, and the big thing was Brett Harrison's really messed with me because if you were to think about it, I think he had been there like maybe a little over a year. I think he got there like May, 2021. Mm-hmm. So if you're there for barely a year, you know, your equity is not going to fully vest, right? And so you're talking about a $30 billion company like FTX with that's risen in what, like three years? So your equity comp 2021 to 2022 had to have been nuts, right? And you're talking about uh, traditionally a four-year vesting with a cliff, with a one-year cliff. So what? He just crossed his one-year cliff and he got like a little bit of maybe a month-to-month vesting, right? And then he just quit. Like you're talking about, you know, multi-multi-millions of dollars. You're talking about generational wealth in, in FTX equity. If that equity is worth what you think it is and you believe it is, it would make no sense for why you would leave, right? Mm-hmm. And then the third one was um, the head of uh, FTX Institutional and, and the head of their OTC desk. Uh, I think his name is Jonathan Cheeseman. Um, and then and he left maybe like a couple weeks later after Brett Harrison. And that's when I was like, okay, something is, there's no way that something is up is not up here. Like there's definitely something shady going on. Mm-hmm. Three of your top executives in like a one and a half month span uh, along like, yeah, we're in a bear, but you know, FTX still should be printing money. They've been talking about Alameda just printing cash for so long and all three of these guys are leaving something, something doesn't was, add was, up was, was... yeah yeah and honestly let's go um right into the thread here um but yeah i agree like when you see like top executives just start leaving in droves like that um not a good sign like one person sure but like three people in such a short amount of time like okay this you know deserves to be looked into um all right but yeah let's get started with this thread um here's your your joke picture of the cell ftt um it's honestly absurd that he was like doing that every week like it's that time and then just not financial advice like poor plebs uh yeah like looking back that's like so scammy that he was doing that like just yeah. like prop up and yeah because he knew that they had to keep these levels uh or else they were going to start getting getting full liquidation so like the first thing that i talked about the the, the first true inkling was like the the people leaving and that's when i started to dig into it mm-hmm. um it's easy to start with volume, right like volume is down but volume was like really down like december 2020 down mm-hmm. and anything that was like like nobody was doing that low of volume compared to like december 2020 levels even amidst the bear right so mm-hmm. you see that end take off the end you know i started to really look into it recently and it was getting really bad like three or four billion and that's when I was like, okay, three to four billion feels really low. And I started to say, okay, like, what are the, you know, what, what are the DEX platforms doing, right? Like, uh, you know, all the derivative DEXs mm-hmm. that we like, uh, like, like gains, like, uh, you know, I, disclaimer, I do, I do contribute at gains. Um, so, mm-hmm. so I do like those guys a lot. Um, but, but, and, and, and that's where I did make a lot of money on my short. Um, and that's why I did short FTT most. Um, nice. But um, like, I was looking at GMX and gains. And I was like, okay, well, these volumes are, are are way higher, right? Like these volumes are gaining market share. So your derivatives, your derivative DEXs are gaining market share. FTX is losing market share, right? And and that was pretty obvious that that's a lower revenue, right? But they have like so many different revenue streams that it's not like unbelievable for them to be like, okay, volume's down a little bit. They'll make it back up. I'm sure they made enough in the, you know, in the bowl to be able to kind of coast their way through all of this. Yeah. But then if you kind of kept going, started to see like more and more things, right? So like regular, you know, regular volumes going down, derivative volumes going up, right? Losing market share. Um, splintered attention was just oh, wait, kind wait, of a wait, fun wait, one. Ishan, wait, wait, before wait. you jump to splintered attention, I just had a question regarding the volume. Like where did you get, what was your source of data for FTX's volume? Because they could have been easily faking it or whatnot. Is this at like CoinMarketCap or something? Yeah, yeah. This is one of the big ones. I honestly, off the top of my head, I'm not remembering exactly, but it was, uh, I mean, it, yeah, it, it was... 
Oh man, I I don't remember exactly off the top of my head. I can definitely pull it back up, but um, all good, all good. Yeah, I I just wanted the audience to because learn from your due diligence process because clearly you are a super thorough guy, and I think the audience can take a lot from seeing the way you use and the tools you use to kind of come up with your thesis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The hard one is with the deck with the with the exchanges. It's hard because that's private information, so there's not like too many great sources. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah. Looking back now, it, it does seem pretty likely that their volume did dip quite and a bit. I just um, and then for the yeah, I I want to point out this this started from October fifth, <laughs> from October fifth, like literally yeah. like one month, October. a little over a month ago, um, and so like this information is from then. But anyways, continue. So we we're at splintered attention. Um, so what's going on here? Yeah, yeah. So splintered attention was like you could tell that they were looking at too many things, right? Like there wasn't like a you know if you're building a billion dollar company that you want to turn into a hundred billion dollar company, you're just going to be solely focused on your competitive advantage, right? And the FTX competitive advantage was a lot of like building the best product, right? Building the best trading platform, the best trading product, right? And and going out and trying to buy Twitter is not like going to to build you the best product, right? It's just like splintered attention. They're not focusing on their actual competitive advantage. They're just trying to do a lot of different things in the space, right? That's not a good look either. This was a little bit of a joke, just kind of throwing it out there. Like, hey, he's looking to buy Twitter. And it's hilarious now looking back that he was talking about he could pull eight to 15 billion if he wanted to in financing to buy Twitter. But now like a month later, I mean, this is what, September 30th. So you're talking about six weeks later. He can't even raise like, uh, you know, a billion dollars at one point to just like fill holes. Mm-hmm. Fill in uh, a hole. Uh, yeah, it's funny to just look back and think about like, oh, yeah, he was like one to three billion would be easy um, yeah. that, that, that uh, to, to one of uh, Elon's guys um, during the Twitter acquisition time. Um, and then we've talked a little bit about everybody leaving. Um, that was just pretty obvious. Some weird stuff is going on there. Um, the the market manipulation allegations, while not necessarily directly correlated to why they went down, I think it speaks to the broader story of like they had no moral compass, right? Like no no like actual you know uh, sympathy for the industry, no sense of like I no actual like altruism for like hey we're building something here. They had sent from the start, and we should have taken their word for it that they were just like completely profit money hungry. Um, individuals who are just like exclusively looking to like maximize revenue. And so they didn't care if they were like tanking other projects. Wave CEO talked about their price manipulation around the Waves token. Um, you know, like there's like so many instances of talking about listing tokens just so they could short the perp or or give themselves exposure, give Alameda exposure, which kind of speaks to the crazy idea of like, how could you possibly lose that kind of money when you're like, when you have the whole card, right? It's like, right. Uh, you know, you, you know exactly what hands everybody's holding because you can God see mode. all their trades. You're in God mode. And how can you not print money in God mode, right? Like people were still kind of, okay, this is, uh, you know, this happens in TradFi too, right? Like this is what Citadel, Citadel does, right? This is payment for order flow, right? And, and so it's not necessarily illegal for them to do. While it is highly unethical to like look at the whole card and know what everyone's doing, like it doesn't make sense how they still were able to lose that Apple much money at that yeah. yeah billions billions of dollars gone and and i think we're going to start to hear about where exactly those billions of dollars went whether it was like they lost it in some weird stuff like luna and and, and 3ac and stuff like that or they made some bad venture investments or they were just gambling away with people's money uh customers money at like like drunken sailors or something right um so bad for the ftx group bad for the brand 
Um, next thing was stable coins, right? I, I think this was a really, really interesting one because they realized this very late in the game that this was their opportunity to make everybody whole, right? So like every exchange, every smart exchange goes the stable coin route, right? BUSD, Tether, uh, Tether with Bitfinex, uh, you know, Gemini, GUSD, uh, you know, uh, Axe understands this, right? Yeah, a lot of projects. It's a, it's a cheat code. Mm -hmm. yeah, if you if you build a stable coin, you are a bank. You are a bank that can print capital at any time that the, that you want, right? And that is the ultimate cheat code. And with that cheat code, none of this probably would have come out. But it was such a bad decision for them not to look at the stable coin earlier. Uh, and probably that was like a, probably a regulatory reason because they wanted to be kind of like the clean regulatory friendly guys. Um, but you know, having the basket of stable coins, right? Like, so when you deposit money into FTX, they just give you USD and that USD is any of like, you know, GUSD, T, uh, true TUSD, USDC. Um, and so like, it just gives you a basket of all these stable coins. And, and I think that was a big impetus for why they felt like they could get away with a lot of fraud because they could just take in deposits and, and essentially you can turn into a fractional reserve backing at that point, right? Because you can take in all these different stable coins. And then you really just have to pay out like a small percentage of those, right? But if they'd actually built a full stable coin, like that is God mode, right? Where you can just print them when you need to, fake your collateral, FTT is collateral to print stables, right? Um, and 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 right. that it couldn't have been liquidated, right? They, that's essentially what they were doing. They were they were you know uh, collateralizing FTT to get uh, you know more USDC and stuff, but. If you can just print it yourself, then you never have a liquidation level, right? Because you can just add more, print more FTT, whatever you needed to do to make sure you weren't getting liquidated. So the stablecoin um, thing, I think, is good. I said, wow, no, that's like like ultra god mode. It's having your own stablecoin, and they probably would have, um, you know, gone away with it. Um, I mean, there were allegations that in 2017, like Tether and Bitfinex allegedly did the same thing, and uh, they somehow paid it back. They somehow like it didn't end up like the situation where we're seeing now or what could have happened but um allegedly that's what happened but yeah. like now it's like it's oh, funny the tether redemption arc is it yeah go ahead no, no I, I just wanted to add to it i just remember about tether now and it was such good posturing for ftx to be like you know usdc t usd every usd we trust but then usdt is going to have a separate deposit line it was such good posturing that like hey you know we're we're one with the industry we know that you know we don't really like usdt so we have a separate bucket for them such yeah, a we're posturing now. Now to think about it. Now it's ironic because yeah, like, like Tether is like one of like the tr more trusted reserves. Like they they've been filling all their redemptions and stuff. Um, but yeah, but yeah, let's continue. I think it's a lot. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a lot of fake it till you make it, right? Where, especially with Tether, it was like uh, we're just gonna like kind of fake it. And I, I think a lot of it was, I mean, you know, total speculative, but I think a lot of it was very similar to what's going on with uh, with FTX. But their numbers just got so big, and the 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 hole just got mm -hmm. so big. It was it was going to be impossible to 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 fill it, um, and then there was just like a, a lot of bad bull market investments, right? Like we've all done it, right? Like you know, if you've been through a crazy bull, you understand like the urge to like, oh, let me buy that nice Rolex, like let me buy this new you know Ferrari or this new Porsche. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody has the dream for it, but these guys were just throwing money around, right? So like the Miami heat naming rights, which is going to be probably the most infamous purchase ever, but it wasn't even just this, right? Like even I was just watching up until last week, like you saw the MLB world series, um, mm -hmm. you know, like 
you know, I'm like Indian, right? So like the world cricket T20 cricket World Cup is like a big deal right now. Uh, they sponsor the T20 World Cup, right, for cricket, uh, internet, big international play. Um, and so and you see all of these like crazy spending that they're doing, these massive ad campaigns, Super Bowl ads and all of that, but volumes down, right? So like that was weird. You saw FTX Ventures. I mean, some of the deals that they were making, right, like they bought 30% of Anthony Scaramucci's fund. And like you saw some of their recent venture investments, like, you know, if you are if you're running the biggest exchange and like you see Coinbase Ventures, like, you know, what they get on their cap table, they get whatever pick, they get the pick of the litter, right? Um, and if you're getting the pick of the litter, why are you doing like late stage, like late series Bs, uh, the doodles raised at 54 million where you're putting like, you know, tens of millions of dollars into that, like just <laughs> a, a string of probably like not great or like not a tier or like S tier uh, venture investments, mm-hmm. which was probably not a great sign. And, and all of those, all of these investments are probably like going to get marked down like crazy um, and sold off. Yeah. Um, I, and then I, yeah. I want to go back to like the naming stuff because I think like anybody that's been around in crypto, even like outside, like I, rem- I go to a lot of concerts and shows and like FTX was sponsoring so many shows and concerts, Coachella, Tomorrowland, um, you know, in F- our Basel, F1 racing. F1 racing. They had like a whole thing at the beach. And like, <laughs> usually like, you know, crypto like does like a little bit of advertising, but like the way they were doing it was like so aggressive. So in your face um, that it's fun. It's ironic. Like Sam himself, is like, you know, comes off as frugal and like, oh, I have new balances and drive a Corolla, like, you know, the old Rockefeller schlick, like, like, look humble, blah, blah, blah. But like, in reality, like, he was spending his money, but on all this advertising bullshit, <laughs> like just getting the FTX name out there. So like, you know, not, not a wise decision by SPF. Oh, really? I think yeah, it was I super wise because it was such good posturing, right? It was like, how can this company be able to spend $200 million on a naming right and sponsor the F1 team and sponsor that esports team and have like, you know, boots everywhere at every single uh, concert? I think it's, that's such good posturing because you would never expect to look under the hood because the car is so shiny. Yeah, I mean, oh yeah, from like from like a looks perspective, it's great posturing to like hide what's underneath. And, um, and why does, and like, I was just watching like, the salt conference which is like really funny to watch now mm. there's like the there's a video there's an interview with like giselle spf and like the head of ftx head of fashion and or some shit uh lauren pratt and i'm just like why does a crypto exchange have a head of fashion and culture i mean culture is important don't get me wrong but like i'm like what that that seems like what what are they trying to do here like what are they yeah, yeah I, I agree with you with the posturing i don't know um, what, what, what yeah. do you think is yeah, I think uh, I I heard uh, Brian Armstrong made this point on All In, uh, where he was like he was looking at the balance sheets and he was like, okay, well, like I'm looking at Coinbase's balance sheet, and I see that we're doing like you know I, I think he said like we did like 10 billion in revenue and we were like uh, we had like three or four billion in EBITDA, and like and then I'm looking over at FTX and they're doing like a billion in revenue and they're doing like you know so like I can't imagine their EBITDA must be a lot lower. And I have no idea how they can get the money to be spending on all of this stuff that they're doing. Um, and I, I think that's a really great point is that like, you know, we should have been looking at like comparing to like public balance sheets um, to get an idea of what's going on. Like the fact that they were private was re- really threw everybody for a spin because they just kept raising money and just kept, you know, selling equity. And no one really knew what that full balance sheet looked like. And, and if we were to just look at Coinbase's balance sheet and like, yeah, you know, FTX claims that they're doing this way more efficiently and have way less engineers on staff and, and way less people working at the company. 
but like you have a head of fashion, you know, you have like this big venture department, you're throwing money around and all of these Spartan sponsorships. Like there was, you know, I, I think there was an easy way to realize this. And I guess even Brian Armstrong didn't fully realize this, but like just comparing the balance sheets should have been a little shady, a little off. But yeah. Sean, don't you think that there was a, a baked in answer to that? Cause they would just point to, we have Alameda research, AKA the money printer, right? Like that was an easy answer to plug into everything. It's like, well, they can't afford it, but you know, they have this other hedge fund yeah. arm that just makes buku money. So of course they yeah. could. I, and what you were saying it's before about like the raising, like why do they need to like keep raising if they're like so successful and profitable? Like that's also like a warning sign. Like they were like rate, like artificially gain their valuation up to $32 billion. Like, come on. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like what, what was really in it? Like if you're just printing cash, right. Like you can't have it both ways, right. You can't, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. You can't be like, Oh, we're, we're doing all these sponsorships because we have Alameda printing all this money. Well, if you're printing all this money, then like, why do you need to raise all this equity? And all, like, why are you selling all this equity? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, this is, yeah. Like, I, I mean, yeah, we can talk about it like the big picture later. Yeah. Um, it, but yeah, I, I think like the last couple things are like, uh, you know, the serum and Ray stuff, like that was just ugly. Right. If you look at some of those charts, like, and they were like, you know, really touting this as like, Oh, serum's going to be like the ultimate club. And we're just going to have all volume everywhere. It's just going to run through this model. Like, uh, we've seen this a couple of times that like clubs very rarely work. Um, and, and, and so, so both of those um, are, you know, the way that those just got pushed down and destroyed, like there was no way that all that equity interest and they're probably raising with a lot of that on their balance sheets mm -hmm. um, that those aren't going to get, uh, you know, that those numbers aren't hurting them in some $2 billion dollars worth of serum with only like 84 yeah. million in circulation or 84 or something like that. Was that what was reported? That's insane. <laughs> that's ridiculous like, like you know like i always like to like go kind of first principles like like do you know anybody personally that's ever done a trade on serum like i personally don't no i, I don't know a single person that's gonna trade on serum right so it's like okay all three of us here have been in the industry for a minute and 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 do trade and and probably exclusively trade like on dexes um and i've had money on on solana before like i i spent a decent amount of time in solana right i used to spend a lot of time with mango markets like uh, and all of us have never seen anybody trade on serum, like red flag. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's like, uh, and then the, the Sam political aspirations, right. Which is just like the tip of the iceberg on like, what the fuck, right. Where like, he's literally taking money from people and just donating it to political campaigns. Mm -hmm. Like that is like the, probably the scummiest thing that you could possibly do in the world. And the way that you just like juice the books in that respect and and like literally you're just taking money from people and donating it um is really? is is like it's scary it's just like in general like scary that people can do that and have that kind of like level of manipulation and like swing um so that so so obviously like the political donation stuff is, is super sketchy super scary um I guess the last couple things that are that yeah, I that really liked what you was, uh, I, I really like what you said here about like they were super quiet about the tornado cash issue like that's so they, Sam was like never crypto native he was like never one of us like he came into the industry as a trader you know always like he even said like yeah I'm, I'm a trader this and that but people still like looked up to him like some like wonder kid um mm -hmm. and yeah yeah he was never he was never speaking up for us right the dccpa stuff like he he was always just about kind of trying to do what was best for him and his company um which is great but then like going back and touting about how you're just like this altruist and like you know are doing the best for the world and like i, I got your guys's back like uh 
Yeah. Um, it's super dangerous how he justified everything with like, oh, it's for the greater good. Like everything. It was like, oh, effective altruism. Like now effective altruism is just destroyed as a moral philosophy. I don't know how it can come back from this when it's like one of its bigger proponents became a huge scammer. It's just like, you know, he used this philosophy basically to make the decisions that he did. And then we're all here paying for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think this kind of gets into the argument of like, it like, was he just like a kid who fucked up? Like, I, I think like Sam and I are probably around the same age. Like I could probably understand a world where it's just like, you know, you just like get too levered. You, you know, take one too many Adderall and you kind of freak the fuck out and like, you know, go crazy a little bit. Or like, is it just like, was he just like a sociopath the entire time was just like, I'm going to steal as much money as I can for people so I can try to donate it and become like this massive figure in the world and like help my mom's political campaign aspirations and like, you know, fund her, um, you know, political battles and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, yeah, I guess we talk about it. The last two things are just like product stuff. Like, you know, if you are trying to build the best product ever, right? And that's your competitive advantage, right? It's like, I'm going to build that. My my business thesis is that I'm going to build the best trading engine possible because I'm going to build one for retail. I'm going to build a product that's great for retail traders and for institutional like HFT traders and stuff, high frequency traders. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I'm going to be able to get as much volume as possible because I'm the best trading platform for everybody. Then like, why aren't you making those perform those like product decisions, right? So like FTX product, like, just towards the end, you started to hear him talk about like uh, a couple tweets about the product and what was going on there and trying to make like the engine a little bit smoother and and have trades execute a little bit better. I think that was all window dressing. Like I, I know a lot of people who are, you know, HFTs and they are not fans of the product really. They they still think that there was a lot of front running. Um, and, and, and I think like one, this product wasn't that great. If you were building along that thesis, you would have built a better product, right? And just consistently added more features to the product. Two, you would not have gone like the FTX stocks route, which was like, just like seemed like a pretty obvious cash grab in the moment. Like, hey, I just, I want more revenue and I want more like trading fees. Like, let me just do this like stock side. Um, So that was really weird. But I think big picture, it kind of speaks to this, like, this is why we need AMMs, right? Like the automated market maker. Is 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 the is the competitive advantage over like Alameda and these regular market makers? Like these guys literally like argue and take you. And like I I do get the MEV argument of like these the, instead of having it done on like the order book level, it's being done on like the the protocol level, uh, that level of arbing and then front running. And and while I do think that's fair. I think that overall big picture, I think the MEV stuff is going to get solved with like you know yeah. either payment for order flow. Uh, you know, the, the like fold type, like private mempool stuff. So I do think there's ways around that we're working and towards. At least that's like right. out in the open. Like you can see the MEV happening. Exactly. Right. Like and anyone can, can join in. Yeah. So it's like, I, I think eventually the MEV stuff is going to get arbed out and there's not going to be much room there. Um, But it's way, way better than like the old process of like, Hey, you don't even know what's going on. And these guys are front running you by seconds. And, were they even running us by seconds? Or were we getting killed on trades? Because if we were, then where's all that money going? Like, were they were they making? That where's money? the money? Yeah. yeah where's the question. money? Yeah. Ten and billion that, doesn't just you know disappear, right? That ten billion, arguably, they, they redistributed that wealth to, to everybody. Like, did they but lose it all? Where it went? Yeah. Did they lose it all? Did they like siphon it somewhere else? It's like all extremely sketch. Um, and then. 
Oh, we're we're at the end of this thread. Oh, Jim Cramer. And uh, oh, you see those, that video of Mr. Wonderful, Kevin O'Leary? It's just like, you know, F FTX, leave your money in there. It's the safest place around. I love SPF. Like, why is it always the most popular people that are the most brain dead and leave the like the sheep to the slaughter every time? Every time. Well, I think I think that's one of the biggest uh, discussions to be had, right? Is like, why do we fall victim to the cult figure? Right. Like, yeah. you know, uh, Twitter is a very powerful place. Right. And and maybe that's kind of like the crux of the issue is that like we have this like single centralized platform where most people get their information. And so that trust kind of uh, I guess the that that level of trust kind of uh, like deepens into like one single place and, and starts to like kind of grow to one single person. Right. A lot of that trust. And, and then when like individual people get that power. And they don't necessarily have like the fear of like, oh, if I fuck with people here, like I could go to jail, right? Like there's mm -hmm. so many loopholes, like you know, Quan's not in jail, Suzu's not in jail, like multi-coin guards aren't going to jail, right? So if there's no risk of like, you know, call it like, you know, I guess jail is considered like physical violence, right? Of some kind, right? If there's no risk of, of like actual, you know, circumstances happening to you, then you're probably just motivated to try to get as big as possible. And in order to get as big as possible, you probably need to make as much money as possible or make other people as much money as possible and, and try to just kind of propagate this image as long as possible because there's really no risk to it, right? Like if, especially if FBF, F, SBF does not go to jail, there's a fair argument to be made. Like this is not going to be the end yeah. of like the cult figure. Right. Arc, right? Yeah, people, this entire, yeah. Yeah. They're running cycles. From from Danny, uh, Danny S is the beginning, right? All mm. the way through, just a cult figure after cult figure come up and come down. And I think this might just be the impetus for us to be like, you know what? Like, no more big cult figures. Like, I just feel like that's a that's probably a good takeaway overall. Mm -hmm. like, people uh, love, yeah, you know, people like, love their messiahs. People love like someone to look up to. People are looking for guidance, and it's just like very easy to be like. Oh, this like one person, he looks like he knows what he's doing. Oh, he's successful. So they got a surface level. It's like easy to find people to follow. But like you were saying, like these like cult figures that play into it too much and they become the main character and they become the center of attention. Um, that's when you get into trouble. Uh, and like, I don't think there's more main character energy than those really cringe billboards of SBF in SF of like, I am in crypto because I want to do the most good. And it's just like his face. It's like so ominous. And like, it's so ironic because like he wants to do good and then he just steals everyone's money to go do like to do God knows what with it. It's, and honestly, it's like infuriating. And now it like, it'll take years, years for like the industry to come back from this. Not impossible, but like, it, it's going to be a rough few years. Like, yeah, like when people ask you like, oh, like, what do you do for work? If you say crypto, you're going to get some looks. Oh yeah, I yeah. know. Speaking of that, Dave, that's actually the perfect segue that I kind of want to move us into. It's like now the that was the pre, and now we're seeing the thing play out. But I want to fast forward to the aftermath a little bit. Ishan, can you? Oh, right, can share, we like? Uh, can we actually like go like a little lead up like to like the weeks before, and then like do the aftermath? Oh, so okay. like, yeah, yeah, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. So like a few weeks later was the bankless interview. Uh, the debate between SBF and Eric Vor Well, before that, it was like it came out like that SBF was like lobbying for the bill, and then he like wrote a big thread on it, and he was like, "Hey guys, I want some feedback." And the entire crypto community was like up and uproar about it. They're like, "You know, you're gonna kill DeFi with this," and you're like, "You're actually like buying all these licenses, so like people can only go through FTX." Uh, so like, what was your initial reaction when you started seeing the rumors about the lobbying for the like the DCPPA 
bill and then like right before the debate like what was your like general feel around there yeah uh i'm i'm definitely not like a like a political analyst like I, i'm definitely not like spending my time uh doing like go driving into bills and stuff like i i think that might be cool for the right person not personally like my cup of tea mm -hmm. so like definitely salt with all of this i i it you know and, and I, i'm just kind of going off like most people's conjecture of like hey this is like gonna kill DeFi. um and and it made total sense like you know he was basically trying to play maker right and if he can be the king and kingmaker right playing kingmaker in dc to make himself the king uh then it, it was definitely going to be bad like you know anyone that's lobbying against DeFi in favor of like you know centralized custodians and holding your money in centralized places is just like not uh you know not my cup of tea and as soon as that started happening i thought the Voorhees debate was awesome i thought he just totally destroyed yeah. SPF and mm -hmm. really simple stuff like even like the you know, the email argument. I just thought that whole thing was just really Beautiful. weird. Like, why would you compare, you know, uh, like, why are you going to try to shut down email? And he just didn't have an answer for that. Mm. Um, and that's when I was like, it, it, none of it sat right. But I still think at that point, nobody could probably foresee that, like, there was an actual problem there. It just seemed like, like, if you could, you know, if you could go and change the rules of the game, to make the game work in your favor, then like, why would you not, right? Like, it, mm. you know, you would be kind of dumb not to. I um, mean, he had all the chips in place. Um, just, just weird. That's the only way I can really describe it is it just came out like a, it was just a weird vibe that came out of there. Yeah. And like, what did you think of like seeing SBF and his health when you were watching the debate? Like he's shaking. He's obviously like way fatter. Um, you know, when people at the end of scams, when like the Ponzi's near the end, it literally destroys the person both like on the outside and on the inside. Do you think that was happening with SPF? Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I saw it, yeah, I definitely thought it was like, uh, you know, maybe too many Adderall's, maybe too much other stuff. And, and yeah, like this usually happens with these guys, right? Like uh, I, I think there's also a bigger discussion to be had about like Adderall's place in, in, in like the world. Like I, I, I'm not too much of a fan. I, I really do. Like, it's crazy that we give that stuff to kids. Yeah. Um, like, like you can see like grown ass like clicking around and like you know freaking out and 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 so like to kids is like uh pretty pretty crazy to do mm -hmm. yeah i think with i think with the whole adderall like you know they were like tweeting about it and like obviously like we're doing a lot of it like met psychosis is a real thing adderall psychosis is a real thing i had an experience with someone yeah. who had adderall psychosis and it like it was like last cycle and like he like and he was like oh i'm doing this thing i'm getting these people together for you want to come i'm like sure i was in la he flies me across the country to richmond virginia and he like ghosts me i end up in dc for the weekend end up doing like something else but he like literally ghosted me and just like went psychotic was just saying all this crazy shit i was actually traveling way more than i was like on the ground in dc and i was like what what the fuck is going on i was like this was like towards the end of this was like february 2018 i think last cycle i'm just like and then the dude just went crazy i'm like all right like see ya a year later, he like hits me up and he's like, hey, man, I'm really sorry about what happened. Like I went to, you know, rehab, like I had like a whole breakdown because I took too much Adderall. So like I could definitely see where like SPF and like his crew just had delusions of grandeur that, you know, combined with like rationalizing everything like, oh, affects your altruism. We're doing this for the greater good. Like it always just a recipe stirred together for this absolute disaster we see now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's uh, it, yeah. It wasn't a good look in the moment, um, and probably should have just been another sign of like, uh, you know, something weird is going on here. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's good that though we have 
actually it's good that we have like people like Eric Voorhees in the industry. But if there's one thing we can learn from SPF, like the fact that he was like going to DC every week, like we need we need more people like industry leaders doing that. We don't need SPF mm-hmm. doing that. We need like but the thing is, it's kind of like antithetical to DeFi to like go to the government and be like, this is what we're doing. But if you want to educate, we need to do that. Um, so I'm hoping like, you know, it'd be great to get people like you out there to DC, honestly, um, just like talk to these legislators and stuff. You would be perfect for it. Um, yeah, I, I appreciate that. Um, it's, uh, yeah. And then like, just going into the lead up, like it, you know, it, that whole, like, I, I guess that, that Sunday, Monday, Tuesday going into that week was just so like unbelievable. And, and it, it's, you know, it, in hindsight, obviously like hindsight's always 2020, mm-hmm. but you know, the throwing the, the stones from the glass house, um was just so bad and and the way that he went about like him and cz going at it and and i i really think like uh, and i saw kobe make this point on up only um that like i don't think even cz really understood how ugly things were over there mm-hmm. i think he just tried to puff his chest out a little bit and just kind of like maybe remind sbf who the big brother was mm-hmm. um and and i think that i i don't think he had any idea and then like you know, telling everybody you're going to market dump like $2 billion of FTT and TWAP out over like two months um, was definitely going to cause like some kind of bank run. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I thought like, you know, the bank run on FTX was probably foreseeable just because like, I, I think everybody still has a little bit of PTSD from all the other, you know, from the Tether stuff or sorry, uh, from the Luna stuff, the UST stuff. And so it was just a better safe than sorry. I think um, I, I I do think they ended up burning a lot of cash. Like if you saw leading up to the FTT, like the, the breakdown at twenty two dollars, if you were watching the charts like leading up to that, and I'm not a I'm not a chart boy much by by any means, mm-hmm. but the way you were watching that thing like just oscillate like from you know n- you know twenty one point nine to twenty two point one for like four hours, <laughs> it seemed pretty obvious defending the peg pretty hard um, because defending the I, peg. Like, I, yeah, and and you would think that they would learn from their mistakes that like you just never want to defend pegs, mm-hmm. um, but you know there's yeah. no way that there was enough to be able to withstand like you know 100x shorts that people were putting on in the moment, um, yeah. and then they you know like uh, yeah it was just like a liquidation cascade where, after that. Where right? were you yeah. guys um, when it was announced that like Binance was gonna buy FTX? Like, cause I think that was like the moment I was like, oh wait, FTX is fucked. Like, where were you when you first heard that news? Because that was like the real turning point. <laughs> I was right here in this seat, like up all night and staring at the charts. Like, I, I think I traded like, all night that night because it was just like, uh, it was just a straight like money printer. And it was like, uh, you know, I told myself after the Luna thing, I, I didn't, I didn't really have a position in Luna. And I was just kind of like outside looking in like the entire way. And I kind of told myself, like, if there was an opportunity like that, where it was just so obvious the system was going to break that I just wouldn't miss it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I was literally sitting right here, staring at this screen, uh, just like looking at the minute by minute charts, like uh, just just throwing shorts around. Um, it was a good yeah. night for me. Where were you, Kit? Dude, I'm in the exact same spot, doing the exact same thing, uh, <laughs> except I actually didn't. I didn't want to be on any offsides because I wasn't paying too much attention on like all this sex stuff and like this FTX stuff. Like I, I barely used the platform, maybe just to kind of go in and go out. So I wasn't really paying attention. I'm like, I have no edge here and I'm not going to jump in in this. I know nothing about I'm not going to spend the, the next 30 minutes researching FTX and then throw yeah. in an FTT short. That just sounds reckless behavior. Um, yeah. But 
it was it was I was right here looking at all that unfold and more importantly for the next couple of days I was still standing here and just looking <laughs> at all like more and more things kept on coming coming out, out like, yeah like it, it wasn't it was like LOI from Binance but non-binding next day okay no more LOI I'm out and then now SBF is raising yeah. a bill to try to like port yeah. the hole I, and then, I, I like, was. I was on a plane when I saw it and I'm like, oh, fuck. And I remember like because I was flying from Lisbon to where, where I'm at now in Dubai and I had breakfast with Satstart. <laughs> I like and I'll never forget. I asked them like, hey, do you, you think uh, like FTX is insolvent? Like, what do you what do you think is like going on here? Because it's like, you know, murmurs and like things are like, you know, people aren't sure what's going on. And like, I remember him saying like, I, I'm not sure. Like, I doubt they are like, you know, I can't imagine them. And I'm like. I said to him, like, that's what exactly what they said. It felt exactly like Luna. It felt like, you know, Luna's like too big to fail. Like, what? There's like so many trusted people in it. Like, how could it fail? But like, then it like literally happened. And like, ever since I landed in Dubai, I've just been glued to my screen, watching yeah. everything come out, like all the different news and like, um, you know, between like what they were doing with customer funds, between like, you know, political connections, donating, blah, blah, blah. I guess like what wasn't like after that, it's just been like every day there's something new. I'm just like more and more daggers. So like what, so like when you saw it unfold and then you, what was it like to collect your clout? Uh, yeah, honestly, like it's been the, this last week has been the craziest week of my life. Like bar none, definitely professional career, like not even a question. Mm -hmm. I think when I started the week, I was at like, uh, like 1300 Twitter followers. And I think mm -hmm. now I'm at like, like 12 K. Um, Ooh. so like, it was like, oh, hell yeah. 10 X. That's the 10 X. 10 X. 10 X. The <laughs> <laughs> only 10 X's we're getting in the bear. Um and, yeah. and it was it was just so crazy because like at the time it was just kind of like uh like it was just kind of like throwing this out there and like I had a buddy send me a screenshot who who sh he shared my tweet in this was on in October. He shared my tweet in the Friends of Benefits Discord. And then like they had a whole conversation in the Friends of Benefits Discord, just like shitting on me of just like this guy's so stupid. Like, how could you ever think this? Like, there's no way this is gonna happen. This guy's like just dumb. And then like now I have all those screenshots of those conversations. Yeah, yeah you guys. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's been fun. Um, you know, but but I think the most important thing is that like uh you know building a a platform is is cool i think it, it lets you kind of like open up and do other things uh, but i think the most important thing is like uh you know it's 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 very easy to get like caught up in the twitter stuff but twitter is just like a very small portion of the real world um and that you know a lot of people were hurt by this i think that's like really important that like i yes like i personally probably came out of this in like the top you know, percentage of like, like I, I was probably one of the least affected people by this because like, yeah, my portfolio, my person, my por total portfolio drew down, but I did really well with short. So like, I'm probably like net up. Um, and that's probably like the higher percentage of total people that are like affected by this. So like, this is just like, but like, you know, everybody is net down because this is going to put us back probably into like a two year bear, like a really, really tough two year bear. Um, and this is yeah. the time to like really rebuild your yeah. Like, like, why are you in this space? And and what is your conviction for building here? So like me, personally, like, yeah. you know, yeah, I check time, right? Like, do you actually have conviction? Or were you just like numbers are going up? Right? So like me personally, like, I'm first generation, like, uh, you know, my family's first generation in America, right? Like, you know, yeah. my, my whole family. Um, yeah, exactly. Right. And so like, you know, in India, I think like still 70% of the country is unbanked. 
right? So it's like, I always felt really strongly in like the banking, the unbanked thesis. Like I still have family that like in India, that's like straight cash under mattress. Like that's their savings account, right? And families that do well too, still cash under under mattresses, right? And that's just like the culture over there. And so I, I, I saw this as like really an opportunity to like, you know, change the way that we do finances. I, I've always kind of hated this banking structure. I think banks are, are are kind of like the, you know, some of the worst propagations of like, you know, uh, of corporations, right? And the way they just kind of like take your money. Like originally banks were started for, for safety of funds, right? That was the use case, right? You don't want to hold cash, hold in the banks, we'll protect you. And then we'll take that money, we'll make money on it, right? Well, like nowadays everything is digital. So there is no need for, uh, you know, safety of funds, right? Like oh, yeah. money in my Venmo is... My money in my wallet is safety of funds. So like, you're not offering me a service anymore. So that 0.01% that you pay me while you take like every other dollar you make on my money is, 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 a, is in my opinion, like a dead industry, right? Like it's just, it, it's, it's just going to get, you know, you know, get innovated out by DeFi. And so like, I still feel confident in that thesis. Like it's always nice to have some people um, that are in your corner that also have that same thesis that can kind of, you know, help refill your, your conviction when it gets low. You know, I, I think of it like a tank, right? Like your, you know, your conviction goes up, it goes down, right? When it's a bull, your conviction is full tank. And then you know, right now it's a, uh, you know, you're getting close to empty. Um, but it's nice when you have some friends and people around you and you have kind of that community that can help you kind of refill that conviction and say, Hey, you know, like it's going to be tough now, but like, you know, just remember all those people that stuck it out in 2017 and 2018 that came yeah. to 2021 legends right and and you know you stick it out through the bear and 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 it's very you know we've seen it happen three times now i'm willing to put my money down and bet that it'll happen a fourth time and, and people that stick around are are going to come out legends on the other side yeah that, i think this flushing and cleanse needed to happen it was just hard to imagine happen the way it did but like now it's like the part it's gonna be the part of the cycle where like you literally can't if you say you work in crypto and you're just gonna get like funny looks you're gonna be like oh like are you okay like or like this and that uh, but this is like the time to build. Like this is where, like, think about all the like the projects that blew up this cycle. You know, uh, Uniswap, Synthetics, like all of them were like building in the bear, and like that's what you got to do. Put your head down, build in a bear. Don't get distracted. Remember why you're here. Um, you know, and then just keep pushing forward. And just like if you just like stick it out, like I think like eighty percent of anything is just like showing up. So if you just like stick it out, show up, like there will be opportunities, and then you just got to be there to like be ready to spot them, like the FTT uh, and FTX call out that you did. Yeah, I, I really like what you said, Dave, about like, you know, being there is 80% of the battle mm -hmm. and just sticking around, like you will survive by default by just sticking around. And mm -hmm. so I, I wanted to ask, you know, Ishan, like what would you recommend the audience? Like folks who listen to this podcast are like the, the real ones, the ones that are actually in this space deep and have stuck around after the Luna situation and now mm -hmm. after the FTX thing, like where would you yeah. recommend them like hang out and find that group? And what are some ways that you kind of got through the bear market the last time? I, there is one thing that I could not feel more strongly about. And that is uh, the importance of, of contributing, um, you know, find a way to contribute in the space. So like, you know, me personally, I'm not, I'm not technical. I mean, like I, you know, uh, I like my technical kind of sphere is like uh, uh, around statistics and data, but like I definitely cannot build full smart contracts. Like I, I've tried to teach myself solidity, 
Um, it is super freaking tough. So I have a lot of respect for anyone that does. Um, but like, I, I think there's a little bit of this narrative, like you have to be technical to contribute in the space, but that could not be further from the truth, right? Like find a project you're passionate about, go in their discord or their telegram, find someone who's a decision maker and say, Hey, I want to help. Like, that's all you need to do. One that's going to build your tribe. Right. And that's yeah. going to build the people that you bear that are going to fill your gas up, you know, get you that level of conviction. And two, they're going to be, when the bull comes around, they're going to be your squad. That's going to be there. And you're going to be like DM boys. Like what are we buying today? Right. And yeah. everybody needs that tribe. When it comes, when the bull comes, you have to build that during the bear, right. You have to build those relationships that now. Yeah. But I could not speak enough about like contributing, find a project you're passionate about. Right. I found gains network, right. Love those guys. Love the, what those guys are building. It's an amazing product. I mean, full disclosure, I, I do work there and I do get a compensation. Um, but I, I, I love those guys and I love what they're building. And I, I went over there and I was just like, Hey, I want to help. How can I help? Right. And you start off just helping, right? Like you should have the expectation that you're not, you know, there people are going to want to see what you're worth, right? This is an entire industry built on anons and, and proving your worth and not, you know, no one gives a shit if you have a degree from like a top 10, you know, I, I have a, I have a business degree from a top 10 B school. Like nobody gives a shit. Like nobody could give less of a shit about my degree. Right. Um, so it's all just merit-based. So go out there, prove your merit, prove that you're worth some kind of compensation, get that compensation. And then it's the bear, right? The bear is where you stack cash, you know, build up your reserves, build up your capital base. So that when that bull comes, it's going to be relatively easy to get, you know, two to five to 10 X of your portfolio. When we've seen it, we know plenty of people who have. So I, I think the most important thing is like, go contribute, go, go do something, go help out somewhere. Yeah. And if a project says no, just move on to the next one. Don't get discouraged. Um, and I'd advise oh, like find up. Yeah. Cause like so many people are like, get discouraged. Cause they're like, Oh, like they don't want blah, blah, blah. And they just stop. Like, don't stop. Like find something that you like. And I find the earlier the project, the better. Like I'd rather, you should rather find a project with like five people instead of 50 people. Um, because that's like when at the beginning, like that's when you get close and like, that's when you get the most upside, definitely the, the most risk, but the most upside um, as someone who's done that, two three times already um and, and it pays that's how you make like your closest bonds is like working with a small team um so like even if it's just like a you know it could be something small like an nft project could be you know something maybe like a little DeFi experiment like honestly just like you know build something cool have fun um you know i think we all we're all having fun in doing this um even like a kid we started this like in the wake of the lunar crash and it's just like right. me, me you and sam mainly and we're just like, you know what? Every week we're going to come out with some high quality content. Um, and you know what? Like, you know, people are like it. People fuck with it. <laughs> we're, we're still here. Yeah. We're still building. No yeah. Lie. Yeah. No lie. And, and that's why I, I love like our audiences, because these are the folks who are, like I said earlier, the real ones who, you know, are deep into the DeFi space and they can't really get this type of content elsewhere and have these kind of conversations. Mm -hmm. So and we also have, you know, a, a plug here. We have the ad flywheel pod on Telegram for our official Telegram. Jump in there, chat with us. Yeah. Right. We're all DeFi DGens. And we're although we're Frax focused, of course, but, you know, we know that Frax needs to work with the whole ecosystem and we're super open to chatting about anything in the DeFi. Right. Innovation mm -hmm. is innovation. That's what we're here for. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, I'm, you know, like, like we said, Ishan, I'm not technical either. I can't code for shit. I tried to teach okay. myself how to code. My brain does not compute in that way. Like not everybody's meant to be a coder Not everyone's meant to be a trader, like find, you know, what you're good at, you know, find your like ikigai, as they say, like find where like you align mm -hmm. within the universe, find which frequency that you are. 
and just like play in that lane and then everything just kind of works out for you oh and yeah, also like- I, I will throw this this tip out there too is if let's say you're not a, a finance person or like you don't understand options or any of these perp stuff like don't let that discourage you from joining that discord and asking those questions because there are a lot more of people who don't get it than those that do oh, yeah and you come in there and create kind of like a, a faq just for a super low hanging fruit, right? All of your questions, I'm sure the team is tired or the community manager is tired of answering that 50,000 times. If you create an FAQ for them, that's you added value immediately right there. And yeah. the questions that you would ask as a newcomer will be questions that, you know, someone who's super apt at, you know, perps won't ne- ever ask because they'll just know it. So yep. there's, there's definitely value there too. I would say there's something there's like so many. Go ahead. Yeah, there's so many roles that you can fill like that are just non-technical roles like I, I think like you know there's a huge uh like a market i guess for like bd guys like business development guys and like mm-hmm. what is bd guys bd guys are just guys that have hustle right that will go out there and make the connections go talk to people go dm people go get you you know make telegram groups with guys that you want to talk to that the dev teams want to meet like bd is like if you have a hustle about you right go yep. go Go get yourself as a BD guy and, and go help someone get some connections and they'll go out and they'll pay you, right? If you're a designer, everybody needs graphic designers, right? If you're a project manager, like projects desperately need like project managers that are not technical, but maybe can understand some of that technicality and, and can kind of bridge between maybe the finance guys and and, and the, the dev guys, right? Um, it, it, there's just so many, and if you need help, like, dude, reach out to me. Like I have so many places where I know projects that need people technical and non-technical. Like if you, you know, just start reaching out, like feel free to reach out to me, yeah. like find me on Twitter or something. And I, then, I would love to help people on your role, find your, find your tribe. And there's such a lack of BD people in space. I can tell, say that firsthand, like the people that actually like know what's going on and then know what's going on and then can actually like network and can actually execute on partnerships because devs are busy heads down shipping. Um, they're not going to be ones out at conferences. And when they are at conferences on them, like, you know, it's a lot of energy. It's a lot, it's a different type of intelligence. It's a different type of stamina to like go out, you know, whole conversations, create partnerships and collaborations. And like the more collaborations that happen in DeFi, the stronger DeFi becomes overall. Mm-hmm. And like, it can't be understated, like how important and vital BD is. And sometimes I feel like, you know, coders are definitely the foundation. They provide the playing field, but if there's no one to play on it, then what, then what good is it? So, you know, if you're like interested in the space, just like doing BD, basically all BD is just making group chats at the end of the day. I, I was going to say. <laughs> That's it. You're making group yeah. chats and making connections. And you basically like allow devs just to like go talk and collaborate, you know, chime in, like remind them like, hey, like what's going on here? And then, like, that's how magic happens. Like, let the devs be devs and let you be, like, and do be their social organ. Be, like, their mouthpiece. Speak when they when they can't speak because they're doing, um, they're do- focusing on, like, building and shipping and all of that other shit. Oh, yeah. I mean, these are super, super great uh, best practices and insights for the people. Uh, though, I do want to bring us back to yeah. the topic we could run like a seminar yeah. on fucking exactly we, we yeah, should, like, we should, maybe we can involved. like do that we yeah should. like we really honestly, should that would be a good idea like like um yeah. like bd yeah feel like a we virtual get a, job. a job board yeah, yeah like a... okay yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. i like that yeah that's true that's definitely a pod idea I think the three of us should totally come back and do like a, hey, this is what we need in DeFi this week. Anybody out there, please jump. A, a quick 10-minute kind of skit that we could do. But all right, yeah. back, back to the regular programming. FTX, 
contagion. Mm -hmm. Like, can we talk a little bit about that? Right. Uh, I'm going to share this with you guys that I saw earlier today. Woo Blockchain posted a uh, little quick snapshot of what they think the contagion could look like. Did you guys get a chance to see this? I think I skimmed it. Yet? But okay, okay. Oh, I think I need to give you the ability to share. One sec. Okay. Okay, go ahead. Okay, one second here. Um, I don't want to share my whole screen. Um, what do you got going on there, Kate? <laughs> One sec, one sec. Jeez, guys, relax. All right, one second, one second. Um, let me see here. Oh, hold on. Okay, boom. Let me share screen. Let me know if you guys see that. Oh, shit. Oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm good. Yeah. So here, here's what Wu Blockchain kind of uh, tweeted out uh, or in their Telegram news channel that I saw. And this is the exposure that they've kind of tabulated so far. And like this is like a lot of big players, right? A lot of notable names are kind of on here. And, you know, where wow. do we go from here? Because like for, I, I'll give you guys a second to, to take a look at it. But for me, I think, there are three pillars that has been completely destroyed. The first pillar being consumer confidence because the consumer is not going to distinguish between, hey, FTX was actually more CFI, not DeFi. They're going to think that's crypto and that's scam. Consumer gone. The second pillar, I think, is like uh, productivity. Like a lot of these projects who you know either rely on uh, funding or their treasury was in FTX or, you know, for example, like Solana's ecosystem is got really 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 hurt by this right the project's productivity are down and the last pillar is i call it like the the capital allocation like i would be hard pressed if somebody were to ask me to angel check today i would have some hesitation right and and that liquidity has vastly dried up and that's again that pillar is gone now so we have just i believe entered like hard mode we're, we're gonna go mm. through the bear market hard mode right now and like, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on that. I think uh, the the two that really stick out to me was like one, the Ontario teachers' uh, pension mm. that yeah. was going to come to bite everybody in the ass really badly. Um, Cellini was uh, it's only three percent, but that's pretty surprising. Um, seeing as uh, um, the the CIO of Cellini, I, I can't remember his name right now, but he's the guy Jordy, who. who Jordy. Uh, Jordy, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Jordy's the one who really called out Luna and was like really going to town, like this thing is going to the ground. Yeah. Um, so surprising that he caught up in this, but um, you know, hundred million for Gallows, Gallows, yeah, uh, I don't yeah. know how to pronounce, but big name, same thing. Um, multi coin. I, I think, yeah, yeah. Oh, multi coin. They're they're done. It's a funny story. I I did I did, uh, did interview multi coin back in the day, um, and I did not get a second interview. So. Um, I hope they get right now. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> not, but um, but multi-coin is crazy. They're definitely done because their entire investment thesis was like Sam coins. <laughs> and, and, you know, there's no more Sam coins left. Um, so I, I think multi-coin is done. Um, it, it's, yeah, the, the contagion is just getting started. I think the one that I'm watching with the hardest eye, and we talked about this before we got on, is uh, Jump. I, yeah. think, I think Jump is... I would be really, really surprised to see Jump come out of this. I, I haven't got the chance to do the full research into how big Jump trading is because I know Jump trading itself is 
is is very large, yeah. but it you know it's large as far as AUM because they have a lot of other people's money. But not only did they already spend all of like they filled that three hundred dollar three hundred million dollar wormhole plug. We know that they were, you know, they led some of Luna's rounds and they had massive, massive Luna mm -hmm. exposure. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and so they had that entire contagion. They were probably just starting to kind of get a little bit on track. And then the way they just got destroyed here, not only between the, you know, the FTX collaboration, I don't think there were seed investors in, 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 uh, in mm -hmm. FTX at all. But um, the 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 entire like Solana, you know, I know that they were they were market makers for Serum, right? right. That has to hurt because they're definitely holding a lot of Serum. And then their Solana positions, I mean, they have like what the second they like one of the two validators on uh, the validator clients on on Solana, mm -hmm. Fire Dancer. Mm -hmm. uh, so they just spent a shit ton of money creating Fire Dancer. Uh, all these resources dumped into that, and then that you know Solana is basically a ghost chain now. Um, so I, I think I think if I were to if I were to make like another prediction about who's next to go down, uh, some people have already been talking about this, but I, I would I would bet a good amount of money um, at, on jump. I think yeah. jump is, I think jump is. Yeah, I'd say jump as well. It's like jump is like a like a walking zombie or just like I just think of that like me uh, like that clip from South Park of uh, Randy like after a fight like I want some more <laughs> like how many hits can jump take between like Luna and, and the wormhole hack and now this like you know they're just i can't imagine them coming back um from this but and also the uh exchanges you know like you know everyone's asking for like proof of reserves and all this like switching around of assets like oh we accidentally right. sent assets over to gate um you know 400 million like how many of these exchanges are actually solvent i would i would be surprised if qob went insolvent i i feel like some of that fun has kind of died down compared to others mm -hmm. but i think crypto.com would be a massive massive ball to drop right like i think their proof of reserve showed like 20 percent was in shib like who the fuck is doing your risk management hey 20 <laughs> fortune favors the brave fortune favors the brave and the <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe their users, like 20% of their users love ship, right? Which is totally possible, right? Maybe they need to hold it because their users want the ship. You know, they like the ship. They like the ship. <laughs> they like the ship. I think I you think know? that's a that's a pure industry concern if like uh the you know one of the five biggest US exchanges is like 20% like total dog tokens. Um <laughs> I, I think that's like one of the bigger issues at hand, but I think if we see, we're definitely going to see an, another one or two massive players take a fall here. Like I, I think, uh, I think one thing that's not talked about enough is um, the impact that it's going to have on Web two, um, mm -hmm. and that you know some of the most massive Web two investors were doing, especially this last Series C round that they did yeah. at the thirty billion. I think they raised a billion at thirty billion. You're talking about SoftBank, you know, writing off a three hundred million dollar check. You're talking about right. uh, Sequoia already wrote off their right. two hundred million. I think you're going to see reverberations in Web two, where a lot of these big check writers are going to start asking their port code, like their their port codes in Web two, to they're going to start really pushing to to like you know mark up, um, you know show show higher uh, valuations where you can uh, cut opsec even more, right? Start cutting more jobs, and then you know once you start seeing job grow, job cuts, like you know one thing that was just totally went underwater throughout this whole shit show was like Facebook cutting eleven thousand jobs. Eleven thousand jobs, yeah, um, that just happens yeah, a lot. 
that's a lot of jobs you're talking about. If the average person of that is getting like a hundred K a year, uh, you know, we don't do public math, but uh, big numbers, uh, big numbers of like yearly revenue, yearly like income that are going to be just like evaporated. Um, I think there's going to be a massive talent consolidation, right? You're going to see a lot of these like startups that were just like, who can raise money right now? I don't think anyone in web two or web three is going to be able to raise money. Um, if anyone wants to, I, I would love to write checks, but my checks are small. So you probably don't want my checks, but if you want checks, I, I, I can cut you. <laughs> you stuff. want the name. Um, you want the Ishan name. You heard it here first. Ishan Cap. Small Ish- checks only Ishan though. Cap, yeah. <laughs> um, you need a uh, DeFi yeah, rider. Uh, yeah. You have the value prop. We'll get those check sizes up. <laughs> Write your investor memos, and, and I will I will give you small checks for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I think we're gonna see it's gonna get really bad. Uh, like I know the all in guys have been talking about a double yeah. dip recession, and I, I think that's what's coming. I think it's gonna get really really sad and bad. Like you know it you know normies are still not talking about like a massive like mm-hmm. a full on recession like two thousand eight level. I think this could get equally that bad. We're like I mean I don't know if you guys remember back in two thousand eight, but it was like. You know, even your grandma was talking about recession, like, oh, we gotta be, we gotta be cutting back. We're in a yeah. recession, right? Like mm-hmm. we haven't hit that stage yet. Um, I still don't think we've hit like the true bottom of the bear. Um, and I I think like unraveling all this contagion. And then I was think this the, the one first issue, Oh uh, no, no, we've already I, I think the first dip was like May all the way mm-hmm. through, just kind of okay. Now. Yeah, I think we're gonna kind of cool off around holiday season. I think. I personally don't know how to evaluate the holiday season stuff, but I think it's going to have an impact. Like people are basically, you know, basically this last half of the year, people shut down for like a whole month, right? Between Thanksgiving and, and, yeah. New, year, and New Year. And most people essentially shut down for a whole month. That loss of productivity is, I think, going to take a toll, especially with how the economy is looking right now. Um, and, and you know, there's still such a mismatched balance of supply of, of the supply chain, right? Like where we, I think we just went from a, a massive short, in inventory to a massive like over um like overcompensation and in inventory levels i think that's going to have some big macro impacts um so like overall contagion is going to hit everywhere i i don't think necessarily it's like only caused by this but i think this is Bigger going factors, to be like yeah. a wave that causes a tsunami yeah i was thinking I think the lps yeah oh, I, I, I just want to point out real quick like the, the lps of all these funds who just straight up marked like hundreds of millions of dollars, like in, in their letters, they always pose it as like, you know, it's only 2% or it's only 3% of like the fund. And, but in reality, like in actual dollar terms, these are hundreds of millions. Well, that's a and, lot. And, and that's a lot. And, and, and Sean said earlier about the OTPP, which is the uh, Ontario Teachers Pension Plan. Like, man, that one is going to cause reverberations for sure. Like, the, you know, you pretty much just X'd out all of canada investors because they're just like you know even the old tpp got hurt like there's no way i'm cutting check into this didn't they get into um celsius as well or was that a different pension fund i'm I'm not sure um, i'm pretty sure there was like another pension fund in celsius i would be like double hit um yeah, yeah. so yeah i think that the lps are i mean fortunately some of these funds are closed-end funds so like you know redemption kind of won't hit but there will be definitely more scrutiny and definitely way more stringent, um, like, you know, criteria to cut checks, 100%. Yeah, it, it, there, you know, you, you, there's no way you can come back with the same. I mean, the, the checks that were being cut, um, you know, before all of this, I mean, it, it was getting pretty reckless. Um, oh, yeah. You know, 
you know, everybody was cutting massive checks everywhere, you know, like, I, I think it's more of an issue with due diligence. I think that's kind of like the big thing to learn from all of this, like, I guess, in like a broader, not just like web three, but like, everybody needs to learn that, like, you know, I think, like, basically, this whole last decade, right, 2010 to 2020, we had such an insane run. And there was such a like, oh, if you don't want to invest in me, I'll just go here. Because there was so much capital being moved around that it was very easy for people to say that, you know, like, I, I don't, I'm, I'm okay with not taking this check. I'll just go with this check. And so the level of due diligence went down exactly. to such a putrid right. level where, you know, like I personally could never imagine like cutting checks to like total anons. Like that's like, you know, I have no problems working with anons. I work with uh, hundreds of anons. Right. But like cutting a check to somebody on straight merit with just an idea is like something I would personally just never do. And that's just like how I was raised, I guess. Right. But like people were just doing single zoom calls with anon devs and just like cutting, you know, six to eight figure checks. Like, I think that day, those days are done. I think, um, you know, like, like people are just going to require such high level due diligence, not only in first checks, but like late checks for sure, which is going to make late check investing really, really hard, really difficult, right? Like how are some of these investors not doing like a full blow through of the FTX balance sheet? I mean, they were probably were fudging it. Like I know Multicoin claimed that they got the Q2 balance sheet um, and they were kind of bragging about it. Uh, but obviously like there was some number fudging going on there, but I, I just think like the the requirements for investing are going to go up a lot higher just because people are going to be like, oh, like I want to see your balance sheet. I want to see a for a revenue forecast. I want to see exactly to the penny what your burn rate is, right? Where are you spending this capital? I want to see no intermingling of funds. I think that was one of the things that really screwed FTX was like this intermingling between FTX US, FTX, and, and Alameda. I think like there's going to be some really strict rules. And I mean, like end of the day, I think I still think and I still feel with pretty good conviction that the winner's DeFi. Like just, just big picture. It's like, you know, you know, the fact that we can, that we're still able, like without DeFi, we would have never been able to uncover how bad this really gotten because we saw the intermingling of funds. We saw these guys start moving around crazy amounts of capital. Like Sam talking about, like, I think it was two months ago where he was like, oh, we were just shuffling some money around in cold wallets, yeah. like, no big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's kind of, right? now was... you're seeing it with, 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 with crypto.com, right? Crypto.com is moving all these funds over and people are like, whoa, what the fuck is going on, right? Like we're not making these mistakes again. So end of the day, I, I think DeFi is winning. And, you know, to add on to what you said about, you know, in the future, there needs to be more due diligence because of the new environment. I'll also add that, you know, higher interest rates is going to make it a lot harder to raise as well. Because like, why would I like go super risk on when I can just like park my money in bonds and treasuries and just chill? Um, and so like, I think, you know, higher interest and they're necessary. Um, I think you're gonna see like a return to quality with a combination of like people being more cautious, being more careful. Um, and it's definitely needed because there's been some absolute dog shit out there. <laughs> like, like you said, like the past 10 years, like anybody with like a fucking pulse has been able to raise. Um, but it's not gonna be like that environment anymore. So it's gonna definitely gonna be harder for founders, but you know, it's gonna be like we're gonna get better founders and better companies and better protocols and better protocols out of it. Yeah. And there's going to be this massive trickle down effect to, you know, as Sean was saying, this, this is going to happen at the later stage funds because they could do deeper due diligence. They can request for, you know, financial statements, audited financial statements, actually. Mm -hmm. I don't think they'll just trust the company anymore. And but that has a trickle down effect because if the later rounds aren't being marked up and aren't being closed as quickly, the earlier stage investors are not going to be wanting to cut that check as quickly because they're going to have a hard time getting that markup later on. So, mm -hmm. you know, we're going to see a trickle down 
all the way through the whole um the all the different stages and yeah this is this is hard mode that's what i was saying hard For mode pro project yeah. productivity and like like i can't even imagine like how many projects out there have a portion of the treasury or the whole thing on like ftx and now the runway like star atlas is like you know a pretty popular game that's on solana and i heard that their runway got cut in half right and that is like holy shit how many of these are out there how many like that means all the investors are obviously that's the quote quote the lp's money right because <laughs> it, it would pass through a couple of hands to get there now are they going to go out and raise another round ask for more like yeah you know man this is so i'm curious what what, what are your guys is what are your guys's thesis on like how this all started like do you, do you guys think it was like just nefarious acting from the beginning like they just did all of this with a full intention of taking everybody's money or like, do you think like, like, okay, me personally, I think this was, I think this is still contagion from Luna. And I think they still had a lot. I think Alameda had a lot of exposure to Luna 3AC and, and, and that subsequent like capital destruction event. And I think that they had a massive hole from there that they were trying to trade out of the hole got bigger because mm -hmm. the market kept going down. And, uh, and, and that's when they were like, oh fuck, if we don't get customer funds, like this is all going to be like what like we might this all might unravel right mm -hmm. because i think that they already had like a, so that I, I think it wasn't customer funds it was probably like customer ftt or something like that that they were loaning to alameda alameda was taking that bar collateralizing that and 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 getting capital to trade with they traded an even bigger hole and then they had to defend that 22 dollar peg because that would cause the cascading liquidations and and bankrupt alameda which would then cause a big hole in FTX and they would all probably go to jail. That's my just kind of like short, I guess, succinct like thesis on what happened. Like, I'm curious what you guys think or like how this started, how the, how we got here. Yeah. I, th I think that um, this has been years in the making. I don't think like it started as like, yeah, we're going to like go and like use customer funds to do that. I don't think like no one ever starts off like that nefarious. It kind of just like goes to that point. But you see that early deck that's been going around of Alameda Research. It's like fifteen percent, you know, you know, low risk, high return, um, you know. And what's interesting is like, I wonder how they got that original money to begin with, like the original like money they used to use, like the Japan ARP. But we can get to that later. Um, so they were market making and whatnot, and then they started their own like casino, basically their own exchange. They they started their own playing field with FTX, and you know, and like there's always something sketched there. It always felt like unholy because it seemed like SPF was just one of those people that's like willing to do like anything to win no matter the cost which is like good to an extent unless you cross moral lines which he did and I think if you just see like how SPF acted from DeFi summer to now like guy never gave a fuck about DeFi guy never gave a fuck about crypto which just aggressively farm and up everything everything was just viewed in terms of expected value and I think when you think of like okay he's an EV kind of guy how does he view the world in EV eventually like it like leads to actions like what we see now he probably like saw like the big hole in like alameda and stuff and he's like what is the ev of me like risking customer funds to like go do like this like one thing and he and then he justifies it with his effective austerism and then he like goes and he was like fine i'm gonna do this and it obviously just blew up in his face i think he just like i think he's always just been like not the best actor uh to begin with and just never really gave a oh, fuck about nice. crypto default yeah and like they it was just like a trader to begin with. And like, you know, traders are fun, they're necessary evils. Like they're usually like the first ones to like shill and experiment with projects. But when they become the leaders and the voices of the space, um, that is a problem because like 
they're only they're very they're just thinking about themselves they're thinking about like the short-term game like what can i get out of this and you see that like how he was acting in congress how he was like lobbying just to like basically shut out like all of DeFi and make it like a kiddie pool compared to like what it like what it like could be um and so like i think like we need to actually just stop looking at people as like we need to stop idolizing people to begin with and like more idolize their actions and like what they've done like vitalik does a very good job of this he's like you know he he's very good at like trying to play off the main character as much as possible and not be one even though he could easily be one it's more like look at my work don't look at me um while spf is more like look at like me and my exchange and like look at look at all the effective altruism that we're doing and stuff but i don't know i don't think there was like a lot of substance <laughs> obviously um but that's my take on it i don't know what do you think i i think for for me i think it kind of he grew into the role because mm -hmm. i would i think it would be really difficult if he were just a much smaller size exchange and much smaller sized hedge fund for him to have this kind of um complex that he needs yeah. to, uh, you know, do all this good in the world by, frankly, taking everybody's money to do so. I think it's because he got to the size he got to that he's like, oh wow, like I can actually, like, really, really do this. And I, I agree with Ashan that there was probably a tipping point where things crossed over into like the fraudulent area, where mm -hmm. this is clearly fraud. And at that point, he was already so large, and he kind of had to maintain that. You know, if, if people hate losing that power. And, and kind of once they have that power, they just do whatever they could to hold on to it and mm -hmm. justify the ends, justify the means in, very quickly mm -hmm. at that stage. So I, I think he kind of grew into him and, you know, things kind of cascaded from there. And like, if you're the top dog, like you, if you're one of the top dogs, you, that's actually a very not good position to be in because you want to be the top dog, right? Being in the top five is not great because there's like you're already in this space where you need to be the top one. And I think that kind of got to him a little bit probably. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I wanted to double down on what Dave said, like we have got to stop idolizing people and all that stuff. And there's, there's this book um, called Wanting where it talks about like our mimetic desires and how we like just within our human nature does this like idolizing thing and how like we want to become like that person. But once we kind of become that person, we kind of turn them into like rivals and then we start wanting what they want. And it's very easy. Like, you know, what Ishan said earlier about, you know, CZ kind of coming in and be like, hey, I am still the big brother in this, you know, situation. But FTX was like, no, 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 no. Like, I am I am here now, right? Like your idols become your rivals. And that's kind of what uh shaking out, I believe. Yeah, but, it's interesting how like, you know, Binance, like how, you know, SPF rose so fast. Um, and he might, don't get me, he's definitely like smart and like a worthy, you know, competitor in the arena, um, you know, but I think it just got to his head. <laughs> like, I think he had a misstep, like, you know, it's interesting how like, you know, Binance, like they got into their round and then they saw them as a competitor and then started like strong arming them and then like right. they need to get that license in gibraltar and binance was like oh sorry no like they just like left them on read and then like they came up with a deal which led to the the seeds to the downfall because they like mm -hmm. they, they bought back all the ftt or like all the their like remaining shares or whatever equity right <laughs> with uh, ftt tokens um but yeah it's just fascinating um like, I think this is a good thing for the space. I think, like, people are going to be a lot more careful now. I think people are going to take, like, not your keys, not your coins actually seriously. I think people are going to demand more from exchanges, proof of reserves, or proof of deposits. 
Um, and I think like this is a real opportunity for DeFi if and only if we take control of the narrative correctly. Um, and right. so that leads to my next question. How can DeFi, you know, better push this narrative about like the benefits of DeFi from this? Because like we said earlier, people are just lumping like crypto with like everything together in one hosh posh. So bad. Yeah, it's like the same shit that's happening with like that happened with like Luna and Frax and everyone like putting them together. And that's why we started this podcast. So like, Ishan, what can we do? to you know help define the narrative with defi coming going forward yeah i think um i, I still think there's an infrastructural barrier like i think that um so i am super bullish on mpc tech uh, multi party computation i think that Did you say uh, mpc the, tech MPC, yeah multi party computation oh i thought you said oh i thought you said npc tech i was like wait I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, yeah. So MP MPC wallet tech, um, and so essentially what MPC is going to do is it's going to allow like social recovery of wallets. So like imagine like uh, you know when, when you click forgot your password and you have like a backend infrastructure that helps you kind of recover that. Like imagine if we can do that for wallets where like they can't take custody of your wallets, but they can help you kind of recover your wallets and your seed phrases if you need to. Um, and and so I think and I, I think there's an infrastructural barrier where we still need to make it easier for people to have their own keys. And have their own wallets i think like you know uh losing your ledger losing your seed phrase and losing your entire net worth forever is like not the optimal strategy for like not your keys yeah. not your wallet i think uh you know it's not enough safety for normal people to get there i think like coinbase is helping us get there i think coinbase wallet and when they get mpc tech is going to be massive like uh, personally i use it for credo I, I i'm a big fan of credo and 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 the way that we use it for multi-sig where it essentially connects to your metamask institutional wallet and then uh your the your credo holds your your credo app on your phone and holds your private keys and you need like a two out of three multi-sig to confirm transactions so you would need to have like your your phone somebody were to take your phone unlock your phone get into your credo account and, and like you know their face id full password all that right that's interesting um, but I, yeah, like overall, I, I think that we're not there technologically in order for us, for, for like the average normie to like hold their entire wallet. But I, I do think that I, I still have full conviction that like this is the way that it's going to go where people like you're able to do everything from your wallet. Like the wallet is going to be the new bank account. You're going to store all your assets in there. You're probably going to store like your real world assets at some point, like your the NFT of your house, the deed for your home, the title for your car. I still think that overall, this technology, this like blockchain based, like distributed ledger system is, is the best way for us to, okay. So I I've been kind of building this thesis a little bit. I think that um, essentially the wallet is going to be the better form of like holding all of your funds. Uh, it's it, because of of the network effects of it. so like okay that right now the the alternative to this is like this online banking venmo system where essentially all of these individual actors create their own databases and they have their own ledgers but these are like privately held ledgers where they keep like a, a spreadsheet or a balance sheet of like all the money that everybody has in their venmo account and then all of the total assets that they have right and then the problems come when this interoperability tries to come where venmo tries to speak with jp morgan and now jp morgan moves over to zelle and zelle with you know zelle bank of america and these guys have their own ledger system where they keep all of all of these numbers and all of this like uh, all these systems in check to make sure that the balances match and then you have some of these smaller private banks Right. Where I think that like a USDC 
you know, Ethereum based ledger system is, is, is going to, is going to allow for way better interoperability. It's, it's just going to be a better system for this kind of like banking backend where people are still going to have their traditional chase, you know, Bank of America front ends, but the backends are going to be running on these like, you know, distributed ledgers um, like Ethereum, you know, like maybe Polygon or something like that, where everybody has access to it. Everybody can see the full ledgers and you get that very easy interoperability. So now, you know, when they're doing, you know, the federal banking, you know, you, like at the end, the, every bank has to make sure that they have enough reserves in order to like have like the fractional banking, mm -hmm. fractional banking, right. where they have enough in order to get a certain amount of deposits done, right? like some X percentage of their average daily deposits, right? Where I think that entire backend system, instead of being like single entities that have their own system and create them, I, I, I do think within five years, it's going to be like a probably USDC based, uh, just like public ledger where all these banking systems can tap into it. And then they can, everybody feels a lot more safer about uh, how their money is really operated because like big picture, um, like, this FTX style bank run could happen to any bank, but banks have the ability to shut down withdrawals very easily. So like, this is not like a crypto native, like we're just, we're, we're speed running the history of finance, right? I love when the bankless guys say that. Uh, we're, we're, we're literally speed running all of this, right? So like back in the twenties, there were bank runs like this all the time on banks and banks would come and banks would go, right? And so unless we get in, like, I think some, you know, th there does need to be some uh, like, I see both sides of the argument, right? There's the one-to-one -one backing where every dollar should be backed on 1%, but there's also like, that's not most capital efficient. Like if you don't need to, you shouldn't have to, but like you also shouldn't be able to do like highly illiquid uh, like venture positions and stuff like that, right? Like the way, you know, USDC does it where they just hold like short-term treasury paper. Like that's smart, right? Where like, I guess if 95% of USDC tried to get called back, they wouldn't be able to make it, right? Because, mm -hmm. but within six months, they would be able to because all that corporate treasure, all that corporate paper is going to get, you know, uh, you know, cashed in. Yeah. So like a 95% bank run, like I, I think we need better requirements. Like FB, SBF said like 24X daily deposits, like probably should be higher than that, right? But I don't think anybody that's unregulated is going to be able to withstand like a 95% uh, bank run. I don't think Tether is, I don't think Circle is. Um, so I know that was like a little word vomit, but. No, no, that, uh, that was beautiful. Good. No, we need, we need, we want, we like the vomit. <laughs> we, like, <laughs> we like we like vomit we like the vomit no, yeah. I, I know I, I agree with that i i definitely think the back end is you know why not offload all that back into ethereum is literally built for it versus the world computer i mean yes it's literally built for it um now i i just feel like at that point in time how does the wallet structure work right do i go to jp morgan i'm like hey i want to open a wallet with you today you know like do they just back up all your, it turns into, again, it's an exchange wrapper. This is still not your coin, right? Like, you know, not your heat, not your coin. Although you, you both have the private key, like, you know, I have it, Chase also has it. But at that point in time, it becomes like a massive honeypot, just like an exchange is, right? Like, it's, so, so like where does that stop? And I, I like what you said about the NPC where, you know, social recovery is a massive thing to help this onboarding element. But I think about it, I'm like, I'm pretty sure the people who had their capital stuck in FTX would also be would prefer that their capital was in a hot wallet in their MetaMask instead of being in something like an FTX, right? Even if it was in cold storage or a ledger, right? Like I feel like you are risking it as as well because you know you always could get hacked and drained, but at least it's non-custodial. 
And I think that's what DeFi needs to instead of working on this. And I think the actual product itself. The only reason why you went onto FTX is because of the, you know, the liquidity, the certain types of tools and the, um, the, the order types and the algo trading and the API keys that you can just plug in. Like if all of that could come on chain, I don't see why there will be a need for a centralized exchange, right? But please correct me if I'm wrong. Like if, if off-chain could do it, why would you go? I'm sorry, if on-chain could do it, why would you go off-chain? Yeah, I, I, I do think it's just a matter of like, um, will normies, which is like obviously a vast majority of capital out there, um, will normies ever get to that point where they feel comfortable enough to do like full wallet security? I, I don't think that tech is there yet for the average mm -hmm. person to feel like, oh, like I don't feel like unless I really fuck up and like really do something stupid, I'm not going to lose access to my money. Like plenty of people lose access to their wallets. Plenty of smart people lose access to their wallets. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I think it's like, can we get there to a point where either like, you know, normal people, either one normal people are always going to need like an easy way to do things. So they're always going to need some kind of front end um where that's like easy and native for them to interact with like a coinbase style front end or like a like some bank style front end that's just running DeFi in the background i think that's likely or the second thing is like is that market just going to shrink so much where it doesn't even matter because like if you think about the average 16 year old kid nowadays you know when over the next 10 years as he becomes financially stable is he going to use a traditional bank account is he going to try to use like one of these online native bank accounts or like a neo bank, or mm -hmm. is he just going to go straight to wallet? And I don't think they're going straight to wallet yet. I think what will help the 16 year old kids nowadays go straight to wallet is going to be games. And I think yep. if the gaming is off, they're going to, they're going to get their first money. It's going to be like free to play. Oh, I won some money. I have this money in a wallet. Oh, I have to just download MetaMask. Okay. I have to write these seed phrases down. Okay, that's cool. Now I have like a hundred bucks in here. What can I do with this? Oh, I can cash in on my bank account or, oh, my buddy in my discord who I play with tells me, hey, you got to buy Uniswap. And, and now Uniswap goes for a 5X. Now I have 500 bucks. Oh, okay. Well now, instead of using this wallet, I just want to have all my cash come in here. Now, can I have a system where my, my direct deposits from my job go straight to my wallet? And I think that that's not as far away as we think. I think, I think in a five to 10 year timeline I, I think that's likely i think you are spot on uh ishan like that's why i i feel like maybe money may not be the first thing to be in the wallet but i could totally see game assets be yeah. the first thing in the wallet right like skins and you know cosmetics and battle passes and things of that nature for sure like totally low bar to you know pass into that people would start using that and over time like your example was beautiful. Like people will start accruing more value to this wallet and they'll start understanding it more and go down the rabbit hole just naturally by design. There's, there's that big story of the kid who like, uh, he, uh, he played Axie and then he got the Axie airdrop and then he swapped his Axie and then he got the Uniswap airdrop. And, and so there's was like a 12 year old kid who like came out with like 20 K, um, at like, you know, just because doing the Axie airdrop and the Uniswap airdrop. Right. And, and I, I, that's, Right. And it's it's so easy to see how that could just so easily propagate into like yeah. most kids starting uh with a wallet rather than a bank account. Yeah. And I can't like reiterate more like how much this shit has to grow. Like DeFi TVL's fifty six million fifty six billion. Yeah. Um, if this is gonna be the foundation for the global economy, there's such an incredible amount of upside. 
But to get there, like, yeah, we need to have the proper UI and infrastructure for retail. And we also need like the proper tools and, you know, dashboards for institutions that want to get into it as well. The institutions will probably take a break for a while after this whole fiasco. But like, you know, I think like one way like people should think and it's like, oh, like they're making just like crypto only like institutional like dashboards and things like you know what institutions want they want everything they don't want just crypto so i think like the key would be like to build like something that has like stocks bonds and crypto like all in like one package yeah and i, I think one of the last things i i, I really want to like hit is like i don't think the contagion here is going to be as bad as the luna contagion because they're there's not as much leverage in the system as there was at that time right like I mean, everybody you knew was levering up with Luna or 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 just levered up in the market in general at that time. Right. Like, and, and, and with Luna, right. Like, yeah, people were doing the DJ box, right? People were uh, you know, collateralizing their Luna to borrow UST to put into anchor. And like everybody was, you know, like, you know, your average Joe had like a maker down vault, like, you know. I don't think there's, I think all that leverage has already been flushed out of the system for the most part. Like, like, I, I don't know. Do you, do you know anyone part like me personally, I was levering up pretty hard back then. Now I'm, I, I'm not levered up at all. Like I think people are still kind of overall scared of the market. So the average person not really levered up right now. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that this could just be a clean washout. Like, yeah, there's going to be contagion, but that's contagion for people that have like already a lot of risks with FTX. I don't think it's going to be like a, a huge, just consistent like month of cascades that are just going to take us down to like a $500 ETH. I, I think most of the levers are already out of the system, which is why I think that institutions are going to be gone for a little bit, but I don't think they're going to be gone forever because they had already kind of got hit their lick with like uh, with Luna and they've already kind of licked their wounds. Like, you know, it's not like some of these, you know, big TradFi institutions were like mega levered up right now in, in Solana and stuff. Like, I think a lot of the Solana's locked, right? So like, you know, no one ever realized some of those like, you know, when Solana hit like 240 bucks or whatever, like no one was realizing those gains. Um, every so time. Not as much. Happens every time. I mean, I, I yeah. actually, Sean, like I, I don't think it's um economic debt that's kind of weighing on their head. It's more like, I think, mental debt. Yeah. Like, like trust debt that, you know, would kind of make them. This is a second thing, like a second fraud that happened in the span of four months. Right. Yeah. And run it back. Yeah, I guess my point was like, uh, sophisticated investors are are still probably going to see like the DeFi value prop and, and they mm -hmm. might be able to see that, oh, like DeFi worked perfectly fine, right? Like, yeah. you know, uh, Alameda had to pay back spell before they paid back anybody else, right? Yeah. Or else they're going to lose all the money. It was going to, you know, go down even more, right? So I think like, yeah, there's definitely going to be a pause. Uh, I don't think the pause is going to be as long. Like, I think people that were already grossed out by Luna are are definitely out. And I think anyone that was hanging around, especially in the Solana ecosystem, is probably out. But I think like, you know, like your sophisticated, like your Goldman's and your JP Morgan's that are more looking at DeFi than CeFi already um, might not be as out. But mm -hmm. totally speculative. I could be totally wrong. We could not see a single institution dump another dollar in here for a decade, right? Um, yeah. But um yeah, it's it's getting that uh time to the hour uh where we're gonna like wrap up. I guess like do you have like any like final thoughts or like anything like you want people to know? Um or like any like where do you see the market going from here? Like the floor is yours. Yeah. Um yeah, I think like uh you know the thing that I, I, I just want to stress the most is like DeFi is the winner. 
right? And and it might not seem like that right now. It might seem dead, but like, you know, like Dave and I, we've talked, like I'm a big Frax head too. Like, you know, I'm a Fraximalist. Like I think the 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 way that you build economies is is like the way the Frax has built the economy is like stronger now than ever, right? Like, you know, Frax didn't really move much. Like it was as strong as ever. I think like DeFi is the big winner. I think the way that we can maximize this is like one, we have to continue to tell the story, right? And and spin the narrative of like, hey, like DeFi got its money first, right? They got money before everybody, investors, VCs, anybody, right? Because yeah. it's not about merit. It's not about, you know, how big of a brand you have or how much money you donate to political parties. Like it's literally just math and you can't beat math. And as long as we kind of keep that narrative going and continue to build, I think like, you know, stick, stick along for the ride. Like I know it's kind of tough to tunnel, uh, but if you stick around, like me personally, what got me really into the space and got me really passionate about the space was the conviction in the technology. I, I am so, I have so much respect for people in that have for the tech. Let's go in it for the tech. <laughs> Hundred percent, right? Like, uh, if you believe through all the bullshit through Mount Gox and the Dow hack and all of that, that you still sat here and was like, "This is world changing technology." Like, I don't care about old heads and trad fight guys that are like, "Oh, this is like, you know, the government's never going to allow this, or regulators are never going to let this happen." Like, I don't ascribe to those beliefs. Like, I believe that the most efficient, best value add system will win. And I continue to have that conviction. I still believe that DeFi is going to be a, you know, probably five to $10 trillion market in and of itself. Um, and, and if we're at 50 billion right now, that's at least like a 20X full market cap from here. I think it might be 200. We don't do public math. Um, People but, lie, numbers uh, though. You know, <laughs> numbers don't, 100%. And so I think that's the biggest thing is like DeFi is here to stay. DeFi has never been stronger um, and, and not your keys, not your wallet, uh, get a ledger. Um, and yeah, you should be fine, man. Uh, actually, just keep building. Actually, like you, you've touched on a good point. Cause like how we originally got in touch was before your FTX thread, cause you wrote a very nice Frax thread and you have been a Fraximalist. Uh, can you, before we go to, can you give us your Frax thesis and what you saw in Frax and what you like about Frax? If there's anything you could critique Frax on also the floor is yours for this. Yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, AMOs. AMOs are the competitive advantage. Like if you can create, like if you can create capital efficiency by creating automated market operations in order to back a peg, like this is the way dollars should be made. That like Frax is the Fed. This is the way the Fed should be. Frax is the DeFi Fed, right? This is how you print capital. You do it as efficiently as possible. You make money. You take that capital. You you invest in AMOs and Frax BPs and all this other cool stuff. Uh, FRX ETH, like our yeah, FRX ETH, like this is the way that a central bank needs to operate, should operate, right? In a totally automated, transparent way uh, where it, it can actually go into create money operations in order to actually create a better backing, create a better dollar, right? I think Frax has lived through so many of these shit shows and it just continue to just print cash. And, and the way that you keep printing that cash, just every day Frax gets stronger and stronger, stronger and stronger every single day. Uh, because it was just printing cash. So, and, and the, the ecosystem that you guys are building, like everything is going to come around to FXS. Like uh, I, I'm, I'm so bullish on Frax. Like so, so bullish. Hell yeah. Great All roads... sound bite. Yeah. Great sound bite right there. <laughs> <laughs> All roads lead to Frax, baby. I'm saying it since okay, the beginning. Critique, critique. It's Sean, critique yeah. on Frax. 
Um, I think, uh, you know, spending some of those extra Frax dollars in order to kind of uh, back the peg is a little bit circular, just like uh, like the way you just kind of like, you know, if, if you know, printing as much as many dollars as you can to make sure it doesn't to like to not let the peg go below a dollar, right? Just like print as much up just to get enough to keep it at a dollar, I think uh, could be a the manipulatable vector, I guess, like, uh, you know, the way that it's printed in that way. Um, but overall, I mean, I, I, yeah, I have like very, very few critiques. Like, uh, you know, it's just like, like, yeah, the only critique is like, what other cool ammos can we build? Can we build more cool shit? Like, uh, and that's not even a critique because how many more can you build? What are we at? Like 10 now? Like, yeah, uh, okay. for sure. Sure. Um, okay, so so normally at, at the end of these pods, uh, Ishan, we have a series of lightning round questions that we want to hit you with. So uh, I, I'm gonna start with the first one. Uh, when did you first touch the chain? What was your crypto virgin experience? Um, this might be a little embarrassing, but uh, my uh, I guess I started. Uh, so I first on ramped through uh, Binance. Uh, well, I, well, I. I first started trading heavily on Binance because that's where I got non-KYC perps. Mm -hmm. um, and so then from there, if you're on Binance, then, and you take your money off chain, first time you hit the chain, it's Binance chain. Um, so it's so a little bit, it's not, not my proudest moment, but uh, no, first I, time I, hitting the was BNB, yeah. That's admirable. No, it's, it's like boarding school. It's like your training wheels. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I, I didn't have the money. And fifteen dollars a transaction. And I was like, dude, uh, I have like five hundred bucks. What am I gonna do? Like, uh, you know, spend ten dollars a transaction. Now I have like four hundred ninety bucks. Well, how am I gonna make money in this? Like, what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go yield farm and then like just like take six months to just make back my gas fees. Like, um, so yeah, it was, it was BNB first. Uh, Pancake swap. My my first true love. Uh, nice. nice. Uh, Farming second cake. Question. Second question. Uh, <laughs> what is your favorite off chain activity? What is your favorite touch grass activity? Uh, touch grass uh i uh, maybe this is why i uh identify with the frack squad so well but uh i i'm a weights guy so so yeah when i, touch yeah. Grass, I like to, to get the weights a little bit get a little big uh, yeah yeah that's one of the first things that i told DeFi did when i saw him in person i was like jesus bro you're fucking big like uh, <laughs> yeah, <he's laughs> um so uh, yeah it's a uh, past couple weeks have been a little tough but um yeah yeah yeah, Hit, yeah hitting the hitting the iron for sure yeah. and hooping yeah. I, I, I fuck it we ball yeah. <laughs> um so what is some advice you would give to yourself that's five years younger from now uh oh interesting five years younger okay so five years ago i was probably just getting out of college um so i probably just graduated um i would tell myself one i, I think everybody after college should go work a job i think you should you should work for somebody uh just to kind of understand if anything, one, understand corporate structure, right? Because if you want to build a big business, you probably have to understand how successful people run their business. If you don't have much exposure to like how a, you know, Fortune 500 or something like that works, like getting understanding that corporate hierarchy or just working for somebody who you respect and, and you want to learn from, like even if he owns like a medium-sized company or something like that, like go out there and work for somebody because there's still, when you get out of college, you still have such a big knowledge gap to actually start your own business and like actually start to do things yourself. Um, so, so go work for somebody, go learn from somebody smart. I, I had the opportunity to learn under, you know, Amanda really well, Amanda Cassett. I mean, she's one of the smartest people in the space, like bar none. Um, and so like learning under Amanda has like totally changed my career, like 
not even close. And she's been so supportive and awesome. Um, so, so go find somebody who's like super sympathetic, empathetic, but like, you know, be prepared to work for nothing or work under what you think you're worth, um, in order to learn, but, but go out there and learn from somebody super fucking smart. Pay your dues. Pay your dues. For sure. And, um, last question to wrap up here is what would you be doing professionally if you weren't in crypto? Um, I'd probably still be doing private equity. Uh, my, so like my family's background was in like, uh, like gas stations, convenience stores. So I grew up, you know, from, I was like probably 15, I'd been like working and managing gas stations. Um, and so there is no better cash flowing business than a convenience store gas station. Like that is my, it's my passion. I, I love that business so much. That's how I grew up. That's how I got anything. That's how my family went from like, like dead broke into like doing really well, like is all just the gas station business. It's a great immigrant business, right? Where you can, you know, people talk about residential real estate as being like this awesome, like, oh, you gain equity value and you get a little bit of cash flow from rent. Like gas stations are prime real estate. You get some of the best commercial real estate, increases in value. Uh, all the money that you make is straight cash flow. The more money you make in the business makes the value of the business go up, value of the business goes up, value of the property goes up. And so it creates this like very easy to comprehend and kind of like gather around like flywheel of like but in flywheel. It's nice. nice. Yeah, nice chain flywheel. <laughs> of of like you know creating a good business and getting good cash flow which is like cash flows like crazy and then on top of that like creates this equity value that you can use to then borrow against right and and go get more assets and easily lever up to get turned from one gas station to two gas stations two to four um like that's how my family got started right we my my parents worked at a gas station uh they my, my parent my dad my mom used to open the store every day my dad used to close it he used to work for somebody saved up money bought one uh, worked there for years and bought another one, then bought a couple more, a couple more, a couple more. Um, so yeah, yeah. What's like, the highest uh, margin thing at a gas station? Is it the gas ooh, or the um, snacks or is it the cigarettes is low margin, beer is low margin, gas is low margin. It's like candy, candy and soda. Uh, so, so next time you, next time you go into a gas station, you buy some candy and soda, like uh, buy a little extra because you know, especially o only go to mom and pop. If you go to corporate corporate gas stations, uh, you're you're not my friend. Like uh, no How corporate can you gas stations. Uh, so like big chains, right? No circle, no like uh, no massive chains. Um, some shells are, are and stuff are are uh, locally owned, um, but there's a certain vibe to it you can get with that like extra clean look. Um, but mm -hmm. usually stay away from like your. Aleros, your Exxons and stuff like that, and go more towards your, you know, Quick Mart, Easy Mart. Um, what know, about Wawa? Wawa's big chain. We don't like uh, Wawa. We don't like QT. Fuck QT. I will say that on live. I don't come after me. Fuck QT. QT. Uh, uh, we, yeah, we don't like QT. What about Quick Check? Okay. Well, you might not know what that is. That's also from Jersey, but I don't uh, know. My might be small. Yeah, and, and anything big corporate, you know, top five hundred, you know, your, you know, Valeros, Shells, MD6, you know, uh, Shell, yeah, Chevron, support. Mobile. I see. Okay. Support local business. Support mom and pop. Support your local Indian family. That's yeah. who probably runs it. Good. To know. Yeah. I thought it was like a franchise model where you know they just kind of take over the brand and and they still run it, but they have to pay obviously royalty and franchise fees. Um, I didn't both. know that. There's a franchise model and then there's like the corporate owned. So there's corporate owned stores and then there's franchise stores. Um, oh, so yeah, so some are, um, but uh, if you ever see a, we appreciate your business tag, definitely go there. You see a big red, like we appreciate your business on top of a gas station. 
definitely go there. All right. right. PSA, everybody. Big Red, <laughs> we appreciate you. That's where you get the gas. All right. And, and we appreciate you, Ishan, for coming on. I appreciate you guys for having me on, man. It's It's been quite a wild week. It's been the craziest week of my professional life, for sure. Um, and, and yeah, yeah, happy to chat, happy yeah. to get on here and uh, have, spread the Frax flywheel. Yeah. yeah, man. We'd love to have you back on in the future as well. Of course, we'd love to. Thank Thanks. you, sir. Appreciate you. Thank you, everyone, for watching this week's episode of Flywheel Pod with Ishan, who predicted the downfall of FTX, who is helping us shape the DeFi narrative for the better and for people to understand. Uh, Kit, what are your final thoughts on this interview? Man, I mean, I knew, I knew he was obviously intelligent, but after kind of meeting with him and having this conversation, he's just a genuine good dude. He cares. You know? Like he cares. He cares he about cares. DeFi. Yeah, he's and a like, real one. Like, yeah, you know, he yeah. comes from an immigrant family, and like, dude, he's a real one. I, yeah. I really thoroughly enjoyed the conversation, and yeah. I, I can't wait to have him on again. Honestly, like, there's so many grifters and scammers, and like people that like you know may appear to be the messiah in the space, um, but like you know just like let us down. Um, but like, it's people like Ishan that like make me want to keep working in this industry because I know there's people out there that genuinely care that actually like want to see DeFi proliferate for you know way bigger than it is now and like i think we all all are all all in on d5 we're all all in on frax um and it's just like a matter of like doing the work which you know he is definitely doing and he's a fraximalist that's actually how i first met him because he wrote an incredible frax thread i'm like dude great thread (laughs) like we've got (laughs) to and so it was cool having him on yeah absolutely and i i love how he also gave advice to people to like you know just in this bear market one thing contribute no matter what it is, contribute. And I, you know, that's just human nature too. Once you start pouring yourself into something, you just start sticking around more. And like Dave said during the pod, showing up is 80%. So just Literally. get out there, stay active and contribute. And, you know, you'll we'll see you on the other side. We'll be here every week. So, yeah, if, you know, if you need a community to join. There's always our Telegram at Flywheel Pod. Join us. Jump in there and chat with us and just shoot the shit. You know, we love this stuff. We love the DeFi innovation. We're vibing. And we about it. Yeah. And if you want to keep up with us, don't forget to hit that bell button. Like, comment, subscribe to us on YouTube. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at FlywheelPod. Join our Telegram at FlywheelPod. You can keep up with me on Twitter at DeFiDave22. You can keep up with me at 0x capital underscore K. And we'll see you next week. Peace. Peace.